Hey everyone, welcome back to season two, episode two of the More to Life Real Estate Investing Podcast. I'm your host, Adrian Panozo, and I'm very excited for this next season. Um, season one, everybody knows, was a great and it was a hit, and I made met so many amazing people, um, so much great content, and so many great stories in the real estate investing game. So hence came came back for season two. Um, Joining us today, um, we continue our journey in speaking to as many experts in the industry as we can with insightful discussions, real-life case studies um, that shed light on the ever-evolving landscape of property investment in real estate. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just sparking on your real estate journey, More to Life is your compass to navigating the dynamic market we're in now and achieving financial success through intelligent real estate choices. Quick little update before we introduce our guest. Um, we just closed on a 15-unit uh, multifamily building in the GTA, specifically the downtown core of Hamilton. So super excited about that. Um, great deal. If anybody wants to know some numbers on that, by all means, shoot me a DM or an email. Love to tell you about that, the way that uh, deal evolved and the numbers surrounding that. And last little bit of advice or information, really not advice. Um, we now have a wholesale division within EPC. So we have um, dedicated um, two really hungry wholesalers that work specifically and directly with EPC right here in our office that are bringing us an abundance of off-market deals. If anybody out there wants to get a hold of some off-market deals, we have a specific database strictly for off-market deals, predominantly multifamily throughout the GTA, not just Hamilton. So never know um, what may come about. So if you want to be part of that off-market database, again, shoot me an email, shoot me a message, can add you to, um, to that database. Other than that, we're going to get right into it. I want to introduce to you a personal friend of mine um, that I've known for, shit, it's got to be, what, six, seven years, Alex? We were looking at like eight or nine at this point, man. I was going to say, yeah. We're getting old, but yeah. Um, a little bit about Alex. So his name is Alex Powell, and Alex fell in love with the prospect of real estate investing at a very, very young age. By the age of sixteen, Alex was going to conferences and had read the majority of Robert Kawasaki's collection of books on building wealth. Good for you. I I think at sixteen I was. I wasn't reading Robert Kawasaki. I know that for sure. But um, graduating from Mohawk College as a mechanical engineering technologist and later from Lakehead University as a Bachelor of Engineering, Construction and Technology were always of interest to Alex. Immediately out of university, he saved every penny to buy his first house, which he fixed and rented out. After repeating the process a number of additional times, he decided to leave his salary job 
to pursue real estate investing full time. I think shortly after that is when you and I met. Yeah, you were so my I first. I remember the day you and I met. You were wearing a, a blue three quarter length uh, like jacket. It was winter. You loved it, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. had the big collars and everything. <laughs> Still, why I remember that, I don't know. But anyways, since then, get this one, guys. Alex has raised over $16 million and has over $19 million in assets under management in real estate. Incredible. As the founder of Powell Property Solutions, Alex has elevated investment strategies, revolutionizing the way Canadian investors approach generational wealth, spanning both U.S. and Hamilton Markets, Alex's diverse portfolio reflects his deep expertise, providing a reliable compass for aspiring investors to navigate the intricate world of real estate investing. Welcome to the More to Life, Alex, after that long bio. Dude, that's a heck of an introduction. I love it. Thank you. Just missing the drum roll. But anyways, thanks, yeah. for, thanks for being on the More to Life Real Estate Investing Podcast. I'm really excited to be here. I'm a huge fan. You know, we uh, we love you too, Kaylee and I both. So we're uh, big supporters. And if we can add some value to your viewership and, and uh, you know, bring some content your way, we'd love to. Appreciate Amazing. it. And, you know, for, for everybody that knows Alex and everybody that knows me, um, we kind of do the same thing, really, when you think about it. But here's another token of, you know what, your network is your net worth. And there is so much business out there. I love having competition on the show. Mm -hmm. Really, we do the same thing. We attract JV partners. We we kind of have the same business model, so to speak, if 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 I can say that, but there's so much business out there. Why not have Alex, a friend of mine, um, on the show to talk about his experiences, his expertise, and hey, reach out to Alex and we'll give you all his information at the end of the show and, and take it from there. You know, so, you know it's, on that note, it's funny being competition. You know, it's funny being a competitor because I think real estate investing is probably the most unique business where your competition is your, could be a partner, could be a lender, could be a referral, could be a wholesaler, you know, like, yeah. like you just said, you're just promoting that new branch of your guys' business, which is awesome. By the way, I will be going on that buyer's list um, and I'll gladly buy your wholesale deals if you're sending them out. Yeah. Um, but anyway, if you're, uh, you know, at the end, if you can share ideas and you know, there's such an abundance of properties, I don't think, and I mean, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know if one stuck out to you. I don't think we've ever competed for a property like with offers or anything. No, no. Ever. So, you know, even Hamilton's pretty, pretty small. You tend to know your competition and you tend to figure who the players and stuff like that are, but that's just supposed to show you like there is such an abundance out there. It's, you know, there's lots for everybody. And that's the whole point of the show is just have as many amazing people on this show to um, share the wealth really on, on their experiences and, and help people out and whatnot and network and meet new and exciting people. So getting right into it, pal, um, we're going to start with, if you don't mind, um, talking about investing in, in Ohio. Yeah. 
So the opportunities and challenges about investing in the U.S. market, specifically Ohio. What specific industries or sectors in Ohio are currently, and this is becoming such a really, really hot topic, investing in the U.S. Like I've heard it now like dozens of times, but what industries or sectors in Ohio are currently driving the real estate investment opportunities and how can prospective investors capitalize in those opportunities? Good question, actually. So one thing, if we're looking at industry, the one most prominent one that comes to mind right now is the new Intel chip plant that they're developing in New Albany, which is just like 20 minutes outside of Columbus. I've actually driven the lot to where they're building. And this chip factory, like a semiconductor chip factory, is going to be the largest chip factory in the world. Right. Wow. So if you look at, at just a geopolitics, you look at, you know, tension between, let's say, China and Taiwan. You look at Taiwan being like one of the sole distributors of semiconductor, like if they're holding a hot ticket item. And there is a risk right now of, you know, China looming on their doorstep. And hopefully it doesn't come to that. We don't know. But I think that, you know, countries like you know, throughout the West, especially the U.S., they're heavily, heavily dependent on these semiconductors. And so in these chips, so, um, you know, for them to start developing this and to incentivize businesses to be doing this is huge. So then that's just one. I mean, Google just opened up a, um, uh, like one of their, uh, like shops, you know, not shop, I'm using shops lightly. It's one of their locations in, uh, outside of Columbus as well. So I personally, now this is just me kind of thinking outside the box a little bit, trying to future prospect. What does the world look like in 20, 30 years, maybe? Not even just like two, three, four, five. But, you know, we're turning to automation quickly. AI is prominent. You look at manufacturing as already using crazy technology to get things sorted. We used to outsource to China and now you're starting to see this deviation shift towards India, for example. And so a lot of manufacturing is heading out there. And I'm wondering if there will come a time where it's just there's a, almost like a breaking point where for companies it's going to be still more worthwhile to bring the things, keep them in-house in the countries. Like you see it for your own business. And sometimes rather than subbing things out, you just kind of start the company within but when you're dealing with automation and you're not having to pay expensive salaries and things like that to, to operate, there might be an argument for bringing things back home. And I think that when you look at, you know, the, the Lake Erie within itself, and you look at, let's say, St. Thomas down to Windsor, down, then you go across the border, there's Detroit, uh, Toledo, Columbus is down here a little bit, and then you would go up to Cleveland, up to Buffalo. That whole area got more in the States than in Canada got hammered when everything left into to China in the seventies. Like look at Detroit, it's a ghost town. Right. Like, look at the property values. You look at, at the incentives that the government's putting in place to attract people back. Like Ohio's population, like, people are moving into Ohio. It's a red state. So obviously that is, is it in, like pro tenant laws. There's all kinds of benefits from that side, but I do think that there is opportunity Within the you know the west you know the northeast uh, sorry northeast of of I'm trying to allocate myself here the northeast of 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 the U.S. 
I, I, I don't know. And, and not just that, like price points are still incredibly attractive. You can still find single family homes that cash flow, right? So it's, it's just, it's different. There's a few different nuances, but so far we've just sold our second flip in, in Columbus. And for us, it was like, you know, we want to create a proof of concept, but we want to do it completely virtually, like sitting behind a desk. How do I source deals? How do I fund deals? How do I renovate the deals? How do I make sure it's ready for listing? And then how do I list it properly so I can create a profit? And it's been super simple, you know, it's just a couple times check in per week. And the next thing you know, you're creating an income source. So it's been pretty powerful. And it's very exciting because now that I've kind of the hardest part is just stepping in. And then once you're in there, you're kind of floating in that tub and you're just like, okay, well, can I buy a 20 unit building for a million bucks somewhere? You know, it's right. like, and, and that thing cash flows like crazy comparative to, let's say, Hamilton, where you're you know, your appreciation is going to be a lot more, but your cash flow is going to be a lot less. So for me, it's like, okay, what can we do? How do we diversify a little bit? Um, you know, but we're still very bullish on the Canadian market. No doubt. I'm very, very much a believer. And I think that there's still uh, ways that it can go, but I, uh, I just think it's kind of fun to, to try different things and see what's out there. Right. That's amazing. Um, and you answered my question because I was, my next question was going to be, are you really shifting all of your focus down to the U.S. right now? Or are you still, you know, doing deals down here? And you just said you're still very bullish here. Uh, yeah, if, if the deal makes sense here, I think that nowadays, especially with the larger, and you could speak to this better than I can, you've got more experience in like the larger scale multis. We've got two apartments that we own that we had completely gutted and started from scratch. Um uh, but anyway, the the truth is that nowadays when you're buying these, you almost have to like account for like a period of like three years where it's like nothing. And then you're just hoping that, you know, it's eventually with natural turnover or interest rates decreasing that you're going to get to a position where it's positive cash flow and then you can start making the income that you're planning to make. Do you see that same thing like when you're running your numbers? Yeah, it just depends. And I get it a lot too, because every investor wants to know, okay, the numbers in general, general speaking, you know, am I able to get, you know, all of my money out if if we do a, a burr on it? Uh, in general, how long does a project take? In general, what's the ROI? But obviously you can attest to this, Alex. It's hard to talk generalities typically because our, our apartment building purchases now ranging in size from six units. Like I said, we just closed on a 15. We got a 47 unit on the Hamilton Mountain. We're involved in a burr, uh, a couple 12s. Like it, it's, it's really case by case specific. Do I still think, yeah, obviously until that building stabilized and then running smoothly, yeah, you're not cash flowing 100%. 100%. So what's that, what's that stabilization period look like? And then obviously maybe tickering off that. What is the whole time frame look like before you cash flow? It, I would say again, case by case, we haven't taken any of our apartment buildings to the studs. I know which one you're probably talking about, but most of our apartment building um, renos and acquisitions have been more, more cosmetic in nature, yep. you know, floors, kitchens, baths, stuff like that, but we're not going to the studs. Um, so it's really case by case to answer your question. 
yeah, yeah. Still believe in them, and we've really transitioned into that space a lot. Yeah, with the rate hikes, because the smaller stuff, quite honestly, you can speak to that as well. The numbers don't make sense anymore here. No, you can't do a duplex, triplex here in Hamilton, even like fourplexes. It doesn't make sense. But you might you might wind up with a massive appreciated value if you score it at. If you're buying it on market, forget it. No chance. If you somehow connect with a seller who's going to sell you because they want just out ASAP, you might still be able to make that margin of equity so that you can sell and create a profit, but there's a 0% chance of cash flow. So it's like, so what do you do? Do you just not take out as much equity, which is a possibility. You can keep, you know, you buy something for under five and you put in a hundred, you know, and and it appraises for 850. You may not have to choke it up all the way, but you're still like, just about breaking even for for what you know it's like if there's some opportunities to do something bigger something better and that's why even in the u.s right now like we've one one phrase that's kind of been coined out there it's not utilized here as often i'm sure people have a concept of it but everyone's like what's your buy box what's your buy box you ever heard of that no they talk about is like your buy box is your set of criteria that you look for within a potential opportunity so and I guess it's one way to hone in and focus on what you're wanting to buy. Because if you look at me in Hamilton, I'll buy anything if the numbers make sense. Yeah. But what about people out there sourcing leads and it's it's hard for them to really, you know, you chase three rabbits and you'll catch none kind of thing, right? If uh, So your buy box, like for me, it's like it's pretty simple. For a flip, I want to make sure that I'm netting 30K minimum on a deal. And for a uh, single family home, it should be cash flowing about 500 bucks. And a duplex should cash flow 300 per unit. So that's kind of my expectations right now as to what, what things look like. And now you can you can put that out to like the universe and, and to your, your, your network of wholesalers and realtors and things like that. And they're like, okay, they're not even going to bring me a deal if they don't think that the margin's there. So it actually makes buying a little bit easier and it helps you kind of hone in on expectations. But um, but anyway, if, if here in Hamilton, like I'm so used to buying just whatever. Like we've bought partial commercial, partial residential and converted it. We've been warming house to, you know, single unit conversions, like, well, multi-unit, right? But single uh, entity units with a kitchen and a bath rather than having common baths and kitchens. So we've done all kinds of stuff. Amazing. Yeah. Man. Um, tell me those stats again. You're 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 okay with making, and I'm glad. And I like where this conversation is going because I got a bunch of questions, and I'm really not sticking to them. It's That's just okay. conversations going organically, which is cool. Yeah. You're okay with making thirty thousand on a flip? Yeah, but you got to think of what your purchase prices are out there. Like I'll tell you. Oh, you're talking in the states. In the states here is a little too tight. Yeah, it's too tight. You like the one little market deviation here. I'm yeah. All those stats, that buy box is in Columbus or Cleveland, Ohio. Got it. Got it. Here in in uh, Ontario, you can't like one sneeze of the market and thirty grand is gone. (laughs) It just doesn't exist. Um, So, but in the U.S., for I'll give you an example. Like we bought our first place for one hundred eighty four thousand. Right, we put in just under thirty k in renos. We sold it for two sixty five, and of course, there's like realtor fees, and then there's like yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. lending fees and stuff like that. So you kind of it's a little bit over twenty k. I'm just using twenty k as whatever. We yeah. staged it and much stuff, and 
proof of concept, of course, you're just hoping to make money when you're starting. So to me, I think that it was a kind of a pr pretty powerful like idea. Now, 20K isn't my 30K expectation. This was the first deal, but now I'm, I know, now I know what kind of items we might run into. Like there, they, it's funny, in the US, it seems like they don't care about timelines. Like, oh yeah, we'll just extend the deal and we'll close next week. I'm like, here in Canada, like the bells will be ringing. People, oh yeah, <laughs> lawyers going, phone Nobody calls. cares there, it's so loud, yeah. it's hilarious. But anyway, there's like these little nuances that you got to pick up on. And, you know, they use title companies, they don't use lawyers, you know, you're dealing, uh, like how buyers deal with home inspections and and just their the way their contracts are written are a little bit different than ours. Like for example, I just learned today that uh, we had a, a a property that that was selling. They released it. Uh, well, one of the original offers had released it, but they didn't abide by the contract terms. So our our uh, a realtor is actually keeping the two thousand dollar deposit, which they're going to funnel our way. And I was like, I didn't know this. Like, I don't care, right? It's just, yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, better than a poke in the eye with a sharp stick, I think. Right? So absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. All right, I want to talk to you a bit about the Burr strategy because you're one of the experts in the industry with that strategy as well. Yeah, me. Um, so what and and it's become so so popular it's maybe it's maybe slowed down a little bit with the smaller space like we talked about given the numbers and interest rates doing the burr on a triplex fourplex in today's market is probably not the smartest thing in the world but the concept in general um what are the common challenges and pitfalls investors should be aware of when utilizing the Burr strategy in multifamily investing? Very good question. Um, I think fundamentally, and I think that this applies for any type of real estate investing, first and foremost, you make your money on the buy. All right. So often you can price in your profit before you even close on a deal. Now, yes, construction funds can fluctuate. But if you're buying at a premium and then hoping to convert it to something more, it it's often is wishful thinking. I'll be honest with you. It's just not, not the best. So that does take some experience. And that's why people have partnered with us. The same reason they partner with you, Adrian, is you kind of have the experience of what to expect on a reno. It's going to be, you know, this is 30K, this is 50K. You know, you can put those numbers in your head quickly and then you can crank out what an estimate is within 5%, let's say, right? Roughly. So you can kind of have an idea. The other pitfall I find that people do, and I think that it's very short-sighted, is that they don't take, they don't heat as much or put as much effort or emphasis on the back end. Because you might buy something for a great deal that you maybe bought under market and you can renovate it for a reasonable cost that is expected for that kind of renovation. But then you go on the back end and it doesn't cash flow. Like, what's the point, right? And I, I know it was, it was funny. There was, um, I, I heard a couple of investors, especially during, you know, we've had a wild appreciation ride for like what the past five, six, seven years. However long it's been, even longer probably. It's just Hamilton. It just climbed like crazy. And I was hearing, you know, maybe more novice investors talking about like 
the fallacy of cash flow. It's like, oh, I don't care about cash flow because yeah, I'm minus 500 bucks a month. That's minus six grand in the year, but I'll sell it next year and I'll make a hundred. And there's this, I get it. There is this, um, there's truth to that because if your property is appreciated by that much and you've added value, great. It is the gamble. That's the gamble aspect. And so one thing I've I've always done and I try to stand firmly on is that when I'm buying, I'm buying for cash flow actually. So I'm I'm aiming to get everything. If not, I'm leaving a little bit of money in the deal or my partner's money, whatever the case may be. And then we are cash flowing on the back end, right? Now you start to see it like we're lucky in the sense that we've got a pretty substantial portfolio. We're like I think 89 units or something like that, a 50 second number, but we're getting up there and we don't have um, like we've got maybe two properties that are suffering like a couple hundred bucks negative cash flow. And then across the board, you're still healthy and it's not an issue. Um, so like knock on wood, interest rates start to uh, behave themselves a little bit better. Um, however, I think that, you know, as investors, you have to hedge for those moments. I think we got kind of short-sighted. A lot of investors did and they didn't like see that this could happen. And, uh, you know, I'm grateful to have like read books that kind of, blare the warning signs out on these things like there's a really good book by don campbell called the real estate cycles you should check it out if you haven't i'm sure you probably have but it was uh he was one of the founders of rain in toronto and he uh it's a very very good book and i just find that it's like you can pinpoint oops sorry you can pinpoint exactly where in time you are with the market whether you're in a boom cycle slump recovery whatever it is and right. you can look at what those economic indicators actually like he spells them out for you. Like, well, in this market, you'd rents would be here. And this is what you should expect with home buyers. And buyers have this kind of a feeling and sellers feel like this, you know, it's very interesting stuff. I, I'm very fascinated by that kind of thing. So. Amazing. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> once the property has been rehabbed, how do investors approach the rental phase in multifamily real estate? And are there any specific considerations compared to single family rentals? Very, very carefully. We, um, so Kaylee right now is dealing with most of our property management and vetting of tenants and she's a viper, she's wicked at it. Um, and she's got a pretty good sense towards who to rent to and what she looks for. And it's sad that it's come to this. It's sad that it's like, you have to be so diligent on who to rent to because there's so many renters right there are not clamoring for housing. They need houses. But we just, it, you know, as, as investors, when so much is reliant on that one piece of, you know, paid, like that check coming in every single month, yeah. and then if they decide to become delinquent, you're what, eight, nine months to get a tenant out? I think it's absolutely absurd, by the way. Um, I'm sure most of your viewers would agree because they're probably thinking the same thing. But yeah. uh, I think that 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 right now is probably one of the most important things. You can buy right, you can renovate right, you can refinance at the price you were hoping for, you can project the proper cash flows and advertise it for rent and you get a shithead in there who doesn't pay your rent and then what happens? So it is by far the most crucial thing. And I would suggest that if you have never rented before or at least a property before, maybe try to use a property manager on your first one or two. It's actually kind of a good thing to get into anyway. Run your numbers with an 8% property management fee, always in the contingency, right? 
Yeah. So make sure you do that because uh, more often than not, property managers know how to vet and know what to look for. You don't know how, like we'll get, we'll put a property up for lease. And within the first two weeks, let's say we have, I don't know, let's say 10 applicants, right? It across 10 applicants, three or four of them will have doctor doctored documents. That's where it's like they're showing a credit score of like, yeah, 675. And then you actually run their credit and their credit is 450. You know, right. and they've got like, oh yeah, we get it all the time. It's crazy. So you gotta be very, very, very careful. So that's a good point. Obviously, uh, so they have an Adobe editor and the editor. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. And then they we had real estate agents submit applications on behalf of their clients that show amazing uh people just don't think we're not going to run our own credit on the application there's a little box there that says like we give consent to the you know the the reviewers to run a credit report on my yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so yeah we, we always run our own credit it's because of that it's crazy wow. And then you get situations where people are like, oh yeah, I sold this house and uh, you know, I'm just using the proceeds from the sale of that house. And you look and they were never the owner of the house. You get all it's a crack. It's a uh, yeah. yeah, not always. I mean, we we are very fortunate, and once again, knock on wood that we have like um the tenants that we've placed after renovations, our our payment rate is like 99% across all like we have barely any units that don't pay and the only troublesome tenants that we typically have are ones that we've adopted on a purchase right yeah right yeah same same as us same as us um all right um next question can you share a success story or a case study of a multi-family burr that you've been involved in um recently yeah um how many units we got an eight unit that was really successful in st Catharines. sure yeah right. let's let's talk about that one yeah yeah so we bought this one with a, a partner actually came to me i met him through a contractor and he had bought this property so his source didn't bought it and needed help with the execution so we went in 50 50 on this deal and uh turns out he turned out to be probably one of my favorite partners to deal with. He's a really cool guy, so dependable, and it was a pleasure to do that kind of business. So it worked out really well from like a relationship standpoint, but we ended up scoring this place for 750. It was a room 750 house. for eight units? No, it was 20 unit rooming house. Oh, okay. It was a okay, yeah. 20 unit rooming house. All right. But it's a big building. I mean, this is what 6,000 square feet or something like that. Yeah. It's a big building. Okay. And so we um we went through the legal process of converting it into uh nine well eight units plus a like a, a ninth bachelor. So we put like a coin op laundry in there, we got a brand new boiler system, all like I'm talking down to the studs. Everything was restructured, reframed. We pretty much kept the shell, brand new windows, new roof, um, new electrical, new plumbing. So it only had one meter. So we also um, split up each unit to its own separate meter. And then we have a ninth house panel, um, put up security cameras, big lights in the parking lot. It's a bit of a sketchy, it was a bit of a sketchy area in St. Catharines. So we had a lot of repeat customers after, after we boarded the place up. But, um, but when we bought the place, it was actually sold by a guy who was um, 
it used to be a, a nice student rental. So students would go there and they'd rent. And then all of a sudden the homeowner who bought this place, who thought he was doing the right thing, and this goes back to my previous comment on leasing out to renters. He let in, it's a beautiful building running smoothly. He let in some riffraff. And this riffraff started to bring in drugs, staying up late. You know, they're not students. They were just needed a room to rent. Yeah. All of a sudden, what do those students do? They get the heck out of there because they don't want to be any part of it. So what does he do? He's got to rent the place out still. So he's bringing in more riffraff. He's not qualifying them. He's got a big heart. He thinks he's doing the right thing. These people are, you know, wanting to help him out. Any which way, turns out that the whole unit gets turned over. So him and his wife put together this Facebook group, and they're going to put together a safe injection kind of property here where people can feel safe to come. And Anyway, lo and behold... Not an ounce of copper is left in the place. They're ripping out the piping. The basements are flooding. There's no copper left from any of the electrical. They're just, you know, there's, when we had bought it before closing, there was two overdose deaths in the building. Um, they, there was a guy there that claimed he was the superintendent. And it's only because the owner had given him a whole wad of keys. And so he had keys to everybody. Well, he was didn't do anything. The lazy guy that just, anyway, he asked some guys for their rent and they threw him off of the top staircase. And so he has a big neck brace on this guy. I'm talking, they, when we had closed on it, this first week we closed on it, there was a fire in the bathroom, two guys smoking crack in the bathroom. The second week, they, the two guys lit up our, our garage in the back. We had a whole detached garage in the back, up in flames. And the fire department comes puts the fire out and then finds us. <laughs> we're like, we're like oh my <laughs> Lord, this is how this is going to start. This is the beginning. So anyway, we had, um, we actually worked with local law enforcement. We didn't go through the landlord tenant board on this. We didn't need to. Nobody had leases. There was, there was just riffraff in and out. Nobody stayed there. You didn't know who one person was from the next. So the police, uh, like the police headquarters, or whatever, is literally right down the street. So if I was ever there, they said, don't ever go in. If you suspect someone's in there, please call us. We'll have somebody come and walk through with you in case somebody jumps out at you or something. So yeah, yeah. we'd all, and they were great. They'd show up in literally 30 seconds. It was crazy. You call and someone would just pull right in because they all knew the building. They all knew the riffraff. When the day they, they, they had coordinated with the police and like three cruisers showed up, six people get out of the cars and they're just hucking stuff out windows. It was wicked. I, like, I just wish it would be like that more often. <laughs> But um, we ended up boarding it up. It, it was for safety because realistically, we've had now two fires, two deaths. A lady also got stabbed and had to get airlifted to Master Hospital. It was just chaos. Like the place was being run rampant. So working with the right people and like we were very much like pro-law enforcement. And so they were incredibly great to us and, and recognized the need to do something about this building because it was just getting out of hand. So that's the beginning part. So we bought this thing for seven fifty. Construction wise, uh, permits took a year and three months. It was an absolute wow. joke. But it was also like COVID times, and it was just a crazy. You couldn't get a hold of anybody. One of our planners retired halfway through our plans, and then they kind of started over again. We we're just like banging our head against the wall. And then finally, we got going and managed. To, like, the place looks absolutely stunning. It's like such a beautiful building, but everything is new. Everything. It's just new fire alarm systems, new uh, like beautiful park, paved parking lot with the painted, you know, spots. And then um, 
Uh, it was about six, let's say six fifty for Renault. So we we'll rent it for one point four, and I think our appraisal came in at two point four. So it was good. Amazing, amazing. What did uh, so the, that that's the reason I love that story is because everything you experienced in that burr, nobody can teach you. No, no, no book, no. Um, real estate coach, um, no mentor, so to speak, that you're paying all these services for. Like navigating all of that has given you a wealth of experience and knowledge that, in my opinion, money can't buy. No, for sure. But it, it does, it makes you more cautious. It makes you understandably and i mean this with the fullest uh, heart it makes you kind of jaded it makes you kind of pissed off that this is the way it is that this is being allowed you know it makes it, it you know you see these old guys that have been in industries for like you know 60 years <laughs> like that guy's just a miserable old guy it's like i think to myself i gotta surround myself with all this positivity because i'm a pretty positive guy but you can totally sense how like some one may get there one day if they just keep i remember the day the police came to take all the stuff out of the building my other partner who we know well brian karsty yeah we're in the process of finishing the renovation on 1212 canon and he yeah. called me and he's like uh Somebody just came, broke into the main floor units because the guys were working on the top two floors and they cut out all the wires on their main floor two units. <laughs> and I'm sitting there dealing with all this chaos at the other building and he's calling me and I just like was like, it's just, it's crazy. And for what? They probably made like 150 bucks, if that, you know, in copper. Just crazy. Oh, so, uh, and obviously my, I've been through that in some of my properties and I've, I've dealt with those people my whole police career when I used to be on the job myself. So if they could rip out a bunch of copper for 10 bucks, they'll do it. For because sure. It's 10 bucks closer to getting their next, you know, piece of crap or, or whatnot. But yeah. on that note, when you bought this building and seeing what you were buying and knowing what you're going to have to navigate. Did you have a sense of being uncomfortable? Oh yeah, for sure. Big time. Right. And here's, you hear it all the time, get used to, or, or be comfortable with, with being uncomfortable. That's where we grow. Right. And here's another classic example. You take on this crack house, rooming house, like I can say I've never done a rooming house. I can also say, had I decided to embark on what you did, I'd be really uncomfortable. It's a lot of work. Oh yeah. It's a ton of work. And we know what's, I kind of know what's involved, but it's a whole other spectrum, but you grew in that space. Yeah, and it, it takes a while too. Like we we know that you can't take uh, a D class building and put A class tenants in there. You can't. 
Because an A-class tenant is an A-class tenant. You want A-class tenants, but they will go in there and in a hot second, they're like, no, I'm not doing this, I'm out. I live in here. Yeah. I'm not living here. So what typically you want to do is you have a D-class building and then you have natural turnover and you maybe hope to get a couple Cs. And the Cs grow into it and then hopefully you graduate to Bs. And then eventually you want to really fix it up at the end, beautify it, and then you attract the right people. And people might balk at that. And people might say, oh, that seems so, you know, stuck up or potential, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. For us, at the end of the day, we are providing a really nice product. You're going to have brand new electrical, brand new plumbing. You're not going to have to worry about something happening while you're sleeping in your bed at night. You're not going to have to worry about somebody pounding down your door who wants to like steal your copper or something. Well, at least we do try not to. But that comes with having the right people in place. And, uh, and that goes for tenants. And we love our tenants, honestly. Like we treat our tenants very well in our buildings that we have renovated because we want them to respect the space. You know, it's very yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Um, we are at, and we've only talked about two topics, Ohio investing, flipping in Ohio, actually three topics. And now we've talked a little bit about the burst strategy and we're already at 32 minutes. So I want to go to our, our, I love these questions. I really do. And I ask every single investor or sorry, guest that's on our show. I ask them all the same questions because I think it's so important and I love the answers and I get answers from one spectrum to the other. Um, <clears throat> what is your why? Why do you do what you do? Good question. Um, legacy. I think that's a big one for me. My, um, I come from a, you know, my, my father's amazing. One of my best friends in the world. One of the guys I look up to who's on the pedestal for me and unfortunately passed earlier this year, my grandfather, my opa. That's on my mother's side, actually. But I've been very, very fortunate to have like strong male role models in my life that I've been able to, uh, you know, uh, you know, want to emulate. They provided a nice, like, I'm I'm lucky. I grew up in a nice household. You know, we were middle-class family. We're not yeah. crazy, crazy wealthy, but I had good state stability. And, you know, I think that if I look at my opa, he started with nothing. Like, poor, poor, poor family in Hungary in Eastern Europe, fled the revolution in Hungary in 56. Nothing in his pocket, came to Canada eventually after having met my grandmother and having some kids. And eventually through the course of his career, built a multi-million dollar business in Hungary, a tool and die business, which is not an easy business for those people that know tool and die. He was uh, just a sensational business owner and a sensational leader. The whole town loved him. He was super generous with what he, you know, what we had built there and he provided, he got the highest order in Hungary. He like, got knighted by the Hungarian government for bringing so much prosperity to Hungary. Just a sensational individual. You look at that kind of legacy, and I'm not talking financially. I'm talking like a legacy left behind by someone who just was a, a powerful individual. And I look at that. I've got three little boys now, a four-year-old, three-year-old, and a one-year-old. And for me, it's like we're building this because like Kaylee and I are planting the trees that we may not sit under the shade. You know, we do well for ourselves and we're successful. But really, this is an opportunity for them to create their own legacy 
and to give them the tools and we have experience. And mm -hmm. by being in this industry, you have just a plethora of avenues you can travel down. Like real estate investing is amazing. You can go in the mortgage world and the construction world and the realtor world. You can do anything. Mm -hmm. It's just a ton of engineering. It's a big place in real estate. We use engineers all the time. So I'm just saying it for me, legacy and that kind of concept of building generational wealth is just incredibly powerful. That's my wife. Love it. Long-winded, but good. Last question. You're obviously very successful now. Um, but when you see and picture more to life, Mm -hmm. What do you see when you think about more to life for Alex Powell? Good question. These are good, good questions, man. Um, more to life. To me, it's um, consistency. That's what I'm going to say. Consistency. I think that in my business, uh, I've been very good at, like, we're busy. We're doing a lot of exciting things. I um, Mondays don't scare me. I kind of like like look forward to getting into the grind and work and things like that. However, I think that when you're buying all kinds of things and you're kind of exploring outward and your 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 competency, you know, bubble, I guess, is pretty big. We've done all kinds of weird and crazy stuff. However, it would be nice to be just like, you know punching out a widget sometimes, you know, and that's what cash flow really is. Um, and that's why we love cash flow in a sense, but it will be nice to have consistency to allow us to be able to forecast I'm someone who likes that kind of concept to see down the line, you know, and yeah. to be able to isolate from like for like a month, let's say like we, we have plans next year that we'd like to spend a month in Europe. Right. And in order to do that, you have to have consistency within your business. So it's really starting to create a focus around better systems, better operations, better uh, communication, all that kind of stuff. Right. So amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Love it. Well, we're at, we're just at 40 minutes, believe it or not. Time to There's going to be a part two. To there's got to be a part two because there's probably another two hours we could talk about everything else you've done. And Yeah. But you know, I could do that. It doesn't matter what it would be. You know, I would just start shooting the shit and the next thing you know, three hours will go by. Yeah. We do the next one in person with some wine. What we should do. I was going to say, I was going to say you and I could open a, a bottle of wine and three hours later, well, it won't be just one bottle of wine. Exactly. We need to cut one thing for that. Well, listen, amazing having you on the show. Tell everybody out there, how do they get a hold of you? And should they want to pick your brain or do business with you in Ohio or do business with you here in Ontario and use your expertise? How do they find you? So Instagram is Pal Property Solutions. There's an underscore somewhere in there, but search Pal Property Solutions, you'll find us. We also have a website, www.palpropertysolutions.com. Um, so that's probably the two easiest ways. And through those, you guys, anyone can DM me or shoot me a message or or send us through, through one of our, our contacts, uh, capture things. Well, it'll come, come right to me. Awesome. Thank you. Today. Sorry? Thank you, by the way. This is a great show. Oh, you're, welcome. you're welcome. I'm always a big fan when people uh, give info to, to the public with this. It's good. Awesome.
So guys, uh, on a personal level, I, like I said, when we started the episode, I've known Alex coming up to eight, 10 years now, give or take. Um, great guy. He's done a lot in the multifamily space. Um, him and him and his wife pretty much run uh, a family run business like 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 I do. Great people, um, wealth and knowledge. Reach out um, if you'd like anything on this show that you heard and obviously want to pick his brain and do business together. Thank you, buddy. On that note, thanks again, Alex. I'm looking forward to that bottle of wine. And um, everybody, you know how to find me, Adrian at investwithepc.com is my email. Obviously, we're all over social media as well. Very, uh, very easy to find. And don't forget, if you want to be part of that, Alex, send me an email and I'll send, I'll, I'll hook you up. But everybody else as well, if you want to be part of our off-market, strictly off-market database team or database uh, that we're sending out, uh, we created that in-house uh, off-market team now that's working in our building. We'll add you to that and we'll start shooting you deals as they come along. We have everything from duplexes, which not a lot of people are interested in anymore, but who knows? Sometimes the price is right and all the way up to 50 unit apartment buildings. All right. Good. Thanks again, Alex. Take care and we'll chat soon.